my friends, and welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. I'm Danielle Sullivan, and I'm your host. I'm very happy to be here again with you today. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a great interview lined up with Sam Young, who is a growth-minded, two-time Fulbright Scholar and the director of Young Scholars Academy, which is a strength-based, talent-focused virtual enrichment center that supports twice exceptional neurodivergent and gifted students and their families. Mr. Sam is a neurodivergent educator who has ADHD, and as an ADHD learner, he has a great understanding of experience in and respect for all things related to neurodiverse education. Today, I'm so excited to be talking with him about his experience of the ADHD diagnosis being diagnosed quite a couple of times from fourth grade on, and then how he came to the idea of using a strengths-based approach in education, which is something he and I share um, both in my coaching and in his educational practice. Um, we're also talking about what does it mean to be twice exceptional, to be 2E, and what does it mean to be gifted, and how are those terms helpful and not helpful in the education space for our students, um, and then why? school, the conventional public school system we have here in the U.S., may or may not match uh, the needs of twice exceptional and gifted neurodivergent students. So this is a great conversation. I'm really excited to share it with you today. Before we dig into that, I just want to say, as always, thank you so much to my patrons. It has been a big year here at Neurodiverging. You may have noticed we have tried multiple new things this year. We have had group coaching, individual coaching. We've had webinars. We've had peer support groups. We've had our Get Stuff Done groups. Um, all sorts of things debuted this year with the support, um, both the the kind of spiritual energetic support and the actual financial support of our patrons at Patreon. And I just want to say now that we're coming towards the end of the year here, thank you so, so much for your support. It means everything. If you would like to support this podcast, if you find it helpful, please consider joining us at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Um, and also just before we let Sam introduce himself and dig on in. I want to let you know that Sam is hosting a free open house for the Young Scholars Academy today on the 8th at 6.30 Pacific time to see if that program might be a good match for your family. If you are interested, there is a link down below that you can check out. It's a free open house um, and uh, Sam will be there answering questions and, and just sharing about the program. You can also learn more about Sam and Young Scholars at youngscholaracademy.org. And without further ado, here's Sam. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. It's great to have you. How are you doing today? I'm great, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. I'm glad you're here. You're the director of the Young Scholars Academy. And I know you work with a lot of 2E gifted neurodivergent kiddos. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you today because I think we have a lot of listeners who are really interested in sort of, I hesitate to say alternative education, but I'm going to say alternative education, um, like we're homeschoolers, unschoolers. I think we talked about that a little bit. And I know a lot of listeners are thinking about how they can educate their kiddos um, out of conventional school systems or or. Uh, in ways in, in addition to conventional school systems. So we have lots of questions for you. <laughs> Could we awesome. start by, would you be able to just tell us a little bit about kind of your path to directorship and what led you to this this career? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess I do the elevator pitch here. So yeah, go for uh, it. <laughs> when I was younger, I was diagnosed in fourth grade with ADHD. And that was kind of a like a fork in the road for me a moment that was sort of very defining for, for in my life because I I was really struggling and started to really kind of define who I was as a student I had to you know go on and like get a tutor and do you know it was like 
the late 80s early 90s so phonics was big right like oh yes uh, i remember the commercials hooked on phonics right Uh, doing doing all of that stuff and it really started to to like hurt who i was as a student i developed Mm -hmm. a lot of like compensatory strategies to like overcome that but i was really successful almost everywhere that didn't matter you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and was struggling in school and so as I grew up it was a major part of my identity and uh, as I got older went into education studied education and then I found out about twice exceptionality and I went to work at Bridges Academy for almost 10 years mm-hmm. where I went to their graduate school and I just kind of got like deeper and deeper and felt like I just belong here like this was like kind of taking care of like younger me and 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 like making sure that other people don't have kind of the same types of struggles so I sort of developed this like strength-based talent-focused perspective and and committed my life to that and starting Young Scholars Academy was kind of like the big the big burning of the boats and send off (laughs) thank you so what can I ask before we dig in a little bit more I definitely want to talk about um kind of your your educational focus and training but um, we've had a lot of folks who have been on past podcasts talk about how um, ADHD has affected them as kids, but we always, I love gathering perspectives when I can, because everyone's experience is so different, like what their challenges were or where they really um, had strengths. Do you have, what is your memory of kind of fourth grade <laughs> Sam in school? Where, you know, where were you struggling before the diagnosis? What could have helped you better? Um where were your strengths at that time? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And it's one that came up several times for me. So mm-hmm. diagnosed in fourth grade and then kind of got mixed information and then was maybe on the fence and didn't have ADHD yeah. and then was diagnosed again in high school and mm-hmm. then again in college and then again in graduate school. So it was this kind of like teetering where I would, the, the truth of the matter is right, that it's case dependent. Yes. Like that's the reality, right? Mm-hmm. That, that like in certain situations, I'm in a flow state in certain situations, you can't get me to sit down. But I in fourth grade was you know, in trouble a lot. I was at the teacher's, my desk was attached to the teacher's desk. Oh my and gosh. that kind of became the status quo, uh, you know. So that was a space for me to really like, I just needed someone to kind of like keep a hand on me and keep mm-hmm. me focused because it was not stuff that I could really catch on to. You know, I was like, um, I'd read a sentence and I would just see like, why are they saying like, they're there twice? And I couldn't get the meaning of the text because I was caught up in the patterns. Yeah. Too many commas is too many commas. Mm-hmm. Or what's the difference between this a colon and that kind of colon? And yeah. I, it was like a superficial trend observation, which, you know, really serves me well in life, right? Like mm-hmm. seeing trends and spotting things. But at the time, it did not, right? It did yeah. not amount in that setting. Yeah. Thank you. That's so helpful because I, a lot of folks who are listening, I get, I get so many emails that are like, I never really believed that I had ADHD. And then I heard this guest and their explanation, like, so everybody's experience is so different, but also sometimes just hearing one person explain it in a way that you can understand really helps. So I really appreciate you sharing. I, uh, I, I feel very, I had a big emotional response when you were talking about uh, recognizing trends and patterns, because that's a piece for me of where I got stuck in school was also some of that, like, I can understand you know, the, the mechanics of something or the programming of something, but the, the underneath part, the part that you're supposed to be paying attention to, um, I had trouble with and, and sort of in a different way where I was very strong in English and and lit and grammar and that kind of thing, but, um, got, 
got stuck on I guess uh, I'll frame it as lower level math, like, but why is the parenthesis mm. here instead of over here or that kind of thing? So it's really interesting how those traits show up. Yeah. And that's, it's really tough, you know, and as you said, like, there's something that we say with twice exceptional kids, which mm-hmm. is like once you've met a twice exceptional student, you've met a twice exceptional student, right? Like, and ADHD is like that too. And it's, mm-hmm. it's such a wide spectrum and especially with complications around, you know, miss and mixed diagnosis, right? Where yes. someone may have like ASD presenting as ADHD mm-hmm. or, might have hyperactive ADHD or, you know, there's so many different things. And also ADHD has become like such an, ad, like an adjective or like, Oh, I totally ADHD, you know, yeah. and it's, it, it's such a, a complex, really exciting space. But I think that the key, like, I don't know that I fully answered your question. So to do a better <laughs> job of answering your question, I think it presents differently in everyone. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the the best things that that we can do to you know not identify but like support students is figure out like what where's the breakdown where are they struggling and then is that transferable across all situations and if not why mm-hmm. right because then we can start to ask like okay what's going on there can, is there like a certain thing happening is it that it's the time of day is it the intensity or the speed of the content you know mm-hmm. is it the interest right is it passion yeah. so so I think we start to like figure that stuff out and for me it was very much like it was especially in English class especially mm-hmm. when I had to read uh but if you wanted me to like get a group together or take part in like a dialogue Yes, I love that. And it could still be English class and it could still yeah. be about deep stuff. It was mm-hmm. just the way in which I was engaging and the way in which I was intaking the information. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I I think that's also really important. I'm also we were we were opposite students because <laughs> I'm I'm autistic ADHD, but inattentive. And um the I I did not want to do anything groups. My weaknesses, and still to this day, my weakness is really social groups that I can't track everybody's gestures and behavior and eye and tone of voice all together. I can do one person at a time and it's fine. Um, and people I know really well, it's fine. But if it's a bunch of like kind of classmates, where it's a sort of superficial knowing, cause you just all happen to be in the same English class. Absolutely not, no chance. Um, but I'm really good if you give me a worksheet and some chapters to read and I, I just need to go do that. So it is, I, I think you're completely right. It really is about really look at where is the person doing really well and how can we use that to support them in other areas right at least that's yeah, how funny. i approach it i'm not a edu- educationally trained person so oh i don't know yeah. that like i say this a lot <laughs> but i don't know that education training necessarily makes a huge difference mm-hmm. if someone who has like credentials in a bunch of different states yeah. <laughs> you know if if you think that the system is functional and perfect then great you got credentialed by it but i don't yeah uh, yeah and so I'm having a credential by a broken system is not mm-hmm. like the most you know validating yeah. thing yeah yeah no i it's 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 really interesting stuff so can we talk well i have two two questions i don't and i'll leave it to you which order we go in it, it, whatever you think flows better but um one is i would love to talk more about what 2e is and how it applies to neurodivergent people and the other thing is i would love to know um sort of more about um that gifted space like what does gifted mean how do we like what if somebody is gifted what does that mean and how do we use that information um to teach our kids or to approach education ourselves yeah no these are really good questions so two big questions (laughs) uh they're big ones but i like that so so twice exceptional is is it twice exceptional students twice exceptional people uh are my favorite people uh and the idea is that essentially this is a, like a complex group, right? This is a group that that merges two groups that often 
people don't think can even coexist, right? So the dual exceptionality, the idea is that someone, a twice exceptional person has uh, an exceptional gift or mm-hmm. gifted area. And the G word's loaded. We'll get into that a little bit. But <laughs> a, 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 an exceptional gifted area or above average area. Mm-hmm. And then they have an area in which they are struggling. And these are their dual exceptionalities. I kind of picture them as sort of asynchronous, mm-hmm. right? So someone might be really strong, like schoolhouse gifted, off the charts IQ, and they might have like autism, uh, dyslexia, dysgraphia, ADHD, you name it. And and that chasm between, you know, so their intellectual, you know, uh, strength in certain areas, and then the things that are maybe struggles or, or uh, you know, different differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that is the dual exceptional thing, but it gets complex, right? This is where it gets interesting, yeah. because twice exceptional people can are often uh, in one of three categories, which is has to do with masking, Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times we don't think of people with these dual existences because we only see one side. Right. So mm-hmm. the concept is that there's these three kinds of masking. Number one is when the, that gifted area covers or conceals the struggle area. And so it kind of covers it up. The other one is the opposite, where mm-hmm. the struggle area covers the gift. So we don't see it. Right. This is a mm-hmm. classic student who's like brilliant in a certain area, maybe, but is in like a resource room. Yeah. Right. Maybe like if you get them in a metal shop, they're going mm-hmm. to like do better than the, you know, the instructor. But because they're asked to do math every day in a way that's really boring and unengaging, then, you know, we don't see the giftedness. Right. Mm-hmm. Think of like a Simone Biles or someone who's like a rock star on the gym mat, but had ADHD and struggled mm-hmm. in class. Right. Yeah. And then there's the the third category, which is students who have dual masking which is the hardest group to support because they're the hardest to identify it's when the gift can overshadow the 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 challenge and vice versa Mm -hmm. so I hope that that makes sense it does it's really interesting too because um in the autism community at least and and you know to a piece in the ADHD community especially among women um we talk about masking as being um do you look neurotypical or not right so it's it's again a term that has different different definitions or significance uh, across different areas. But so to me, when I hear masking, I think of well, for example, myself, um, you know, in school, really pushing away from all those social areas, but really focusing on the academics. And so I just came off as sort of a nerdy, you know, highly focused on on English sort of person, um, and that covered my social deficits until I hit about puberty, and that's when, um, at least for people born as women. And, and living as women, the kind of clickiness and social social bonding piece of, t- of being a teenager really kicks in. Um, and I couldn't mask that, right? And so I started to fall over. But when I was younger, I just masked as somebody who was um, who was not autistic, basically, who who could socialize as a neurotypical and and function roughly in, as a neurotypical person. And so it's interesting to hear these sort of. I, it, I'd love to do a <laughs> side by side of how the all these different masks work together with one another or cover each other up. Cause I could see as an autistic person, I'm going to be quiet in one minute, but I can see as an autistic person that masking of sort of social um, challenges, for example, in, in my example, being, um, you know, being highly gifted in English, for example, but, but also absolutely <laughs> incapable um, and, and very weak when it came to sort of the social norms of, you know, when do I talk? When do I be quiet? When do I make eye contact? You know, how do I enter a conversation with a group? All those sorts of questions that I still really can't do, you know? It's context dependent. I don't yeah. have ASD, nor do I pretend to, you know, tell it people with autism, you know, how, why they're doing the way that they're, what they're doing. <laughs> but, but, you know, 
we know that the research tells us that when students or when people right have a role in an assigned setting that there is a lot more comfort there mm -hmm. so you know you as a you know a host uh, may feel more comfortable because you understand the expectations around that role. It is not amorphous. It's not ambiguous. And yeah. it's it's confidence building because mm -hmm. it, it can be a little bit more linear, right? And that's true. I mean, we can extrapolate that so much broader, right? That regardless of if it's, you know, ASD or, or uh, you know, ADHD or you name it, you know, people are often more comfortable when they understand the expectations. Mm -hmm. And and that's why a lot of our students like, you know, games and role playing and things because they're like, okay, as a dungeon master, here's I my job. To, yeah. right? There's no ambiguity around this, mm -hmm. but life is ambiguous and that mm -hmm. can be really scary and overwhelming for a lot of people. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, I think a piece of it with the autistic masking versus uh, 2E masking is that um, for certain groups like neurotypical people, uh, say American Northeastern American neurotypical people, that specific culture, they have expectations around social engagement. They're just unsaid or unspoken. And so neurotypical people, for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part, pick them up, right? Without explicit teaching. Whereas autistic people, if we want to participate in those, have to be explicitly taught or have to go find other autistic people who <laughs> don't care about us mimicking those specific, that specific culture appropriate or effectively. Um, and so it's, it's it's like it is it is a different I think a connotation but it shares some similarities which I just think is really I just think is really interesting so let's get I'm I'm stuck on masking let me unstick us from masking and say okay so we have uh, twice exceptional having a, a great strength and a great weakness perhaps just, can we talk now about giftedness what does gifted mean it is as you said a very um, a word with a lot of connotations to it some mm -hmm. positive some negative yeah the D word is loaded you know because <laughs> it it has a dark history around it in many mm -hmm. ways, right? That there's, you know, gifted testing and, and racial prejudice and gender profiling. And there's a lot that comes with it. So so it definitely historically has had, a, you know, a negative connotation, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's thoughts sometimes around privilege and yeah. equity. Um, but ultimately, much like twice exceptionality, much like everything that, that we've talked about, giftedness is a strength in a certain area. Historically, mm -hmm. we think of giftedness as schoolhouse gifted, right? Mm -hmm. But that's only a piece of the pie. Giftedness can be, you know, again, uh, I know a very gifted high school dropout uh, mechanic. Mm -hmm. He just speaks car. Yeah. Uh, he walks up to it and he like runs his finger along the side of the car and then he just will touch one thing and, and a problem that has been plaguing someone for six months mm -hmm. is evaporated, right? Yeah. And that's a gift. Mm -hmm. uh, so the question is, when we think about giftedness, we're talking about above average ability. And usually when you think of like your standard deviation, mm -hmm. we're thinking about two standard deviations. So like when you think of like a bell curve, we're looking yeah. at like two standard deviations over. Okay. Um, and then beyond that, you get to what's called PG, which mm -hmm. is uh, profoundly gifted, right? Mm -hmm. So this is very high, uh, above a 135 IQ. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the times, though, I, I like to kind of break down the different, right? Because again, like twice exceptionality is my thing. So I think that there's a very likelihood, a great likelihood that a lot of people who identify or are seen as gifted may very well also be 2E. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just context dependent, right? Yeah. So are we seeing the two realities? Uh, because as going back to the bell curve, I think a lot of people sort of straddle 
both sides. Mm -hmm. Like especially twice exceptional people, they have this great asynchrony. And most of the time we see people in their strengths, right? I think this is a really important idea that like in school, we don't get that. Like we, we, we see people from the bottom up. Like, mm -hmm. okay, so-and-so, little Johnny, little Susie, you're not doing your math or you're not completing your social studies. So like, let's fix that. Yeah. But in life, we say like, you're an incredibly talented painter. We have to get you doing, you know, album cover art. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that, that like school really needs to come over to the real world because in the real world, we actually are tapping more into like strengths and talents and so forth. So this is a roundabout way to, to say that the giftedness, like everything else is context dependent, but mm -hmm. that uh, it typically this means an above average ability. And to quote uh, Dr. Joseph Renzulli, he goes beyond giftedness. This is one of my favorite. He's controversial, by the way. So I mean, upsetting people by saying this, but uh, Dr. Joseph Renzulli talks about gifted behaviors, mm -hmm. not gifted people, right? Mm -hmm. That we have gifted behaviors and that you know at certain times uh, under in certain settings uh, with certain abilities that we can kind of put this all together and demonstrate these these gifted behaviors okay interesting I'm not familiar with them but I think folks can make their own determinations and I'm sure there are books of his or articles of his that can be read right on the internet so yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I will find some links to put below for y'all um what one really quick question is you mentioned I know this was not the main point of of what you said, but you mentioned IQ as being a way that we assess for giftedness. Um, obviously, IQ has a, a very weird and biased history. And I was just talking to somebody else about this earlier. Um, do you know, and, and I don't know the answer, um, are there other ways folks go about assessing um, giftedness or, or high, high, high strengths in or talents besides IQ tests, or is there any movement by any of the community to like move away from that particular, or have people adjusted the IQ test since the last time I looked at it so that it is more inclusive? Are any of those things <laughs> the case? Yeah, no, these are, so I'm definitely not like a neuropsych. This is not mm -hmm. my strength. I, I find the whole thing very overwhelming, but there are so many different brands of, of tests, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the most popular is like the WISC, the okay. Wishler intelligence. I can't remember what the whole acronym stands for, but um, there are like a three big ones. And, and then there are more, we are seeing really gifted strength-based neuropsychs, neuro, uh, neuropsychologists who mm -hmm. can look at a kid and say, you know, this is probably the best test for you. Let's also incorporate some kind of maybe portfolio work and, and other work so we can get like a more 360 view. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, we are moving beyond just the like classic, you know, intelligence testing really started uh, and really took off like in the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're getting kind of beyond those elementary ones, but we also haven't come that far so that, yeah, I, IQ is definitely has been and still, I would say, remains uh, pretty loaded. I just always encourage people to, again, think of like Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, great. You're really gifted in this area and it shows on a test. Yeah. But what about the people who don't, right? Like, and going back to Joseph Renzulli, he has this quote, which I adore. Uh, he says, uh, no one cares about Pablo Picasso's math abilities or Albert Einstein's abilities to paint, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, we can test someone in an area outside their, maybe their, where their gifted abilities show up. We're not doing them a service. So I think it's really important to Yes, do testing and get the data because it can be really helpful, mm -hmm. but also go beyond, you know, like a, a single assessment and try to get that, yeah. that bigger picture. Thank you. That's really helpful. So I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm a coach. I don't 
um, I work with two E people sometimes, but it's not our main focus at all. But strengths-based work is really important. Um, and looking at where are you succeeding and how can we um, apply some of what you're doing in those pieces of your life to other places where you feel like you're not succeeding, right? Or how can we adjust approaches? Um, and that really very much has to work with, you know, what are your gifts and talents? What are your strengths? Um, and some folks, it's really easy just to know right away, like I can tell you're really strong about say um, pattern analysis, right? Just by talking to you or uh, you're very creative, right? Um, but then some people you really have to do a lot of work to figure out where that there's always a talent, right? <laughs> but you have to do a lot of work to find it sometimes because it's not being used in their everyday life. And so I'm glad to hear, I guess, that there are more than one, there is more than one assessment kind of technique or approach to figuring out um, how to educate folks with kind of very specific, unique talents. Um, because I feel like an IQ test is just not broad enough to capture um, most of those things. So, right. And yeah. a lot of the students will get, you know, one of the, the emerging elements is that there, there are just more pieces to it. So it might be a singular test, right. But then they'll mm -hmm. also have, you know, uh, observations from teachers and other people. So you start to get like a wider view. Again, it's, it's, it's challenging, right. To do this. Mm -hmm. And I don't pretend to understand how neuropsych evaluations work, but <laughs> I know that, you know, the more information that we can get from the more stakeholders, I think the better we can serve our students, as long as we do keep what you're saying, as long as we keep that strength-based perspective, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the times these neuropsychs can actually give really helpful information, right? So mm -hmm. perhaps diagnosing someone and giving them an answer to questions they have or a label to identify with, mm -hmm. uh, as long as we keep that positive. Yeah. Right? And if it's, if it's not, if it's harmful, it's like, uh-oh, you've got this thing. Oh boy. You know, and that's how a lot of people feel. I think they get these you know, 35 page reports and it's like really dense. And I don't know that that is like serving people well. Yeah. So it's so important to get that like kind of wide smattering of, of, uh, you know, data to help someone live their best life. And as you said, like yeah. leverage their strengths. Mm -hmm. And like you said, in real life, right. Not just in the school setting, which is, um, really geared towards learning very specific discrete skills that may or may not be helpful later on in in my own personal opinion um but then when you get into real life being able to know your strengths and talents so you can apply them in a way that really makes life good for you right we want wellness we want at least as a coach i want my folks to be like as happy as possible but also as well as possible which is which is hard to do so can we pivot a little bit i would love to talk more about your school um how do you say you get a new student come in um can you tell us a little bit about what the approach is for figuring out what's the path for this person how do we how do we support them in in what they need coming in so so young scholars academies a virtual enrichment program. Like we're, mm. we're, we're kind of like a virtual school without walls. And the idea is that it's strength-based learning and it's interest-based and students self-select. Mm -hmm. So we don't, like, I don't really have like a, you know, you come in, you take a test, you get placed. It's really about having students pick something that mm -hmm. excites them. And the goal is to buck the system. <laughs> yeah. you know, the goal is like if, if you spend all day like in classes that you struggle with and then you go see like a specialist because you're not doing something and then you have like a tutor and then there can be like an hour of cryptocurrency investing mm -hmm. you know <laughs> like that's going to be awesome right and so so our goal is to just take all these differently wired kids from all over that have really unique interests and just place them in a, in, in a setting where they can like delve deeply into what they love with mm -hmm. 
mentor quirky expert people above them and then mm -hmm. like quirky people around them. Yeah. Uh, and so to answer your question, it's sort of a self-selection process. Yeah. And then we'll evaluate on the fly. Like if someone signs up for like advanced speech class and it's their first time, like, hold on. Yeah. You know, these <laughs> students have been doing this for a year or more. So we need to maybe readjust. But beyond that, it's we're we're differentiating. We're meeting every student where they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That sounds very much like uh our unschooling program at home is like what are you interested in? How can I help you find resources? My kids are very young, right? And so they're not uh, quite accessing resources on their own yet, though they will be very soon. Um, and so it is like, you know, how can I help you find the things that you're interested in and be able to engage in them? And if I need to translate, like translate them up or down or help you adjust your level, right, then I will. But that's fantastic. And what age does your group serve? So we have uh, like four cohorts. Uh, mm -hmm. So we have seven to 10, 11 to 14, 15 to 18. And then we have 18 to 20 or mm -hmm. 19, 18 to 20. Beautiful. And, and those aren't always like the boundary. Some classes will be, mm -hmm. like, you know, across those, but, but generally it really comes down to like the educators preferences for whatever mm -hmm. they think. Yeah. Uh, I really say that we're like a virtual village. Mm -hmm. So like all the, the mentors and educators in our program are sort of co-designing with me. And like, they're really the experts. And then I just kind of facilitate the village so that they can like meet with the students. Cause mm -hmm. I think one of the things that our students need more than the content, more than the strength stuff, it's really just like guidance, mm -hmm. you know, just knowing that things are going to be okay. And, yeah. and being with students who are right. Cause they're, cause the asynchronies being with students who are like them. Yeah. Cause you know, like humans are, I always say like we're social creatures who happen to think. Yes. Right. So, we're, <laughs> if we don't have that, and a lot of our students don't, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're operating at like a graduate school level intellectually, and then you're at like a seventh grade, you know, socially, emotionally, like mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to hang out with older students intellectually because of the social emotional stuff, mm -hmm. but it's hard to socialize with your peers because they're talking about like, you know, My Pokemon, friend. not World War yeah. Battle Cruisers, right? Mm -hmm. So, but you're into Pokemon because you're also that age, right? Like, so it's really confusing. <laughs> so, so the idea is like just to give them a space where they can like nerd out with other students and then also have these like quirky mentors who get them. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Cause I, I, I know again, um, part of my job as a parent coach is working with parents of, of kiddos and most of those kiddos are neurodivergent. Um, cause I'm working with neurodivergent parents and that's just how <laughs> it is. Um, and a lot of the complaint is that kiddo, you know, is, is maybe doing great in school, um, maybe gets on well with siblings or cousins, but like does not have friends because, they can't find the one other autistic person in wherever middle, yeah. you know, nowhere they are. Um, Cause some of these folks are in cities and obviously the more people you have, the more neurodivergent people you have, the more likely you are to bump into them, mm -hmm. but it can be really hard to make connections. Um, and that's just with neurodivergence. I'm not even talking about like higher intellect, right. Um, that it can be hard enough to find somebody with the same special interest as you, right? You're like your totally. battleships or your, or your Pokemon, right? Yeah. Um, much less, you know, somebody who's also on the same kind of level as you in terms of thinking through big problems. So that's really that I can see how that would be a huge benefit to the kids who are enrolled. Yeah, yeah it's really exciting space. And we do have so many, like, I think of them as like marooned kids, mm -hmm. you know, um, and families for that matter. Like you're saying, we have families in several different countries. We have a student who is homeschooled and he's in Switzerland and his parents let him take like sometimes when there's a class that aligns with his strengths like we mm -hmm. have a robotics one which I already know is going to sign up for yeah. and 
like he'll stay up at, at it's midnight mm-hmm. and he's taking the class from like midnight to one and like his yeah. dad's like participating mm-hmm. you know because he's really excited and like they're both you know fired up about it and then they like built the day around it just so mm-hmm. he can have that you know hour a day or whatever it may be and so it, it's it's really exciting to see and it's it's uh yeah it's like you said there's just so many people who don't have that luxury yeah do you ever feel like challenged by folks when they come in and they want the best for their kiddo and their kiddo's not doing well in conventional school settings for whatever reason but also it can be a big I'm speaking from my own experience a big um leap of faith to be like okay I'm gonna get my I'm gonna let my kid lead like I'm gonna let them you know sign up for the stuff that's of interest and a value to them even if it's not kind of how I was trained to to teach my child right it absolutely is. And we have both. I mean, right, we have an executive function course mm-hmm. and, you know, it's really fun. Like it's like gamified, they're building their own systems and they have to like test them and measure them and share mm-hmm. them each week. And, uh, you know, I always say like, why are you here on the first day? And they're like, oh, my mom made me, you know, <laughs> and I always know that. I'm like, that yeah. maybe we're going to have a blast. And then mm-hmm. they come back for level two, level three, level four, right? Cause yeah. it's a great community. Um, so they're, they're like, I'm still existing in the same world, you know, that you're talking about. Yeah. Like there are a lot of parents who are like, my kid isn't, and that's real life stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We, you're, if a student is spending their whole entire lives consuming information and they're really fired up about it, but they're not necessarily building a vision beyond just the consumption or they're mm-hmm. not, you know, contributing. I still do, this may be controversial, but I still do kind of barge in and say what can we do right yeah. not that we need to like turn every hobby or interest into like a job right mm-hmm. but but how can we make the world a better place with your you know deep-seated knowledge like we're just coming out of COVID and there were people who dedicated their whole lives to studying like the Spanish flu and then all of a sudden they're incredibly relevant superheroes mm-hmm. for us right uh so there's not always a clear purpose but like how are you getting your information out there how are you mm-hmm. sharing it no matter what it looks like so yeah. to answer your question uh I still do exist in that same world, but I also <laughs> will say just reminding parents like that schools converging to the mean, mm-hmm. right? That the stuff that you're hearing, the, the kind of reprogramming does have to start with the parents, mm-hmm. right? That, that you're hearing all the time, your kid's not doing this, your kid's not doing that. And parents are like, holy cow, I want my kid to be okay. I want to make sure everything's going to be okay. I want to make sure we're going to have a bright future here. And that's not what the future looks like. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, if I'm a programmer, I'm speaking another language. I don't really need to know that much about this, you know, Spanish class. I'm, I'm learning this. Mm-hmm. And so if I have an F in Spanish, but I'm like on fire and programming, like that's okay to me, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it, it starts with the parents because we've all had an education and we all have an opinion about one. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we're constantly like being told, like there's a hole in the boat over here, we're taking on water over there. It's like, ah, but when we focus on what we're doing well, we see transformations in our students. We see transformations in the work that they're producing. And as you said, we see the wellness, we see the happiness and we see like the mind shift and grow and, and the, the feel good start to come out. Yeah. Thank you. That's really helpful. And people can absorb content throughout their life. Right. And so for me as a parent and sort of, you know, a de facto educator, um, the goal is to teach the skills so that they can access the ability to absorb content later, right? To teach to teach skills so that they can um, effectively use the content they have and work creatively with it and question it and challenge it and sort of mold it around, make things mm-hmm. out of it, right? Um, 
but I do think parents in a lot of conventional school settings are just constantly told like your kid is not learning this content and that's that's the problem um when really for me it's more about the skills around how to use that content that are more important um and maybe that's just the neurodivergent perspective because a lot of us are uh, have lagging skills or things we were not taught or things that other people just pick up that we need to be explicitly taught. Um, but I know it has helped my kids just to focus, for example, on executive function support. How do I manipulate this information rather than absorbing just the content itself mm -hmm. of how do I, you know, how do I solve this polynomial that I will never use again after what you test out of it in college, right? right. Um, that's it. You'll never touch it again. It's like, okay, well, I spent like two years learning polynomials. So I could have learned, you know, meal planning <laughs> or mm -hmm. how to do my laundry or mm -hmm. like something actually reflective of my adult day to day. So, yeah. A lot of our students do, as you say, like our students do need to be taught things deliberately and mm -hmm. they need to be involved, right? It's not top down like, hey, kid, take this agenda book and write down your homework because that, that doesn't take into account their intellect. It doesn't take into account their strengths. Mm -hmm. So instead we can say, okay, what does task management look like, right? Yeah. There's really three things that need to happen. You need to capture ideas, you need to prioritize them, and you need to execute them. Mm -hmm. Now, what are the best ways to do part one, part two, part three in accordance with who you are? Yeah. And what have you tried? Mm -hmm. And, you know, then all of a sudden they're crafting something. Yeah. And that is not a one size fits all. It's very personalized. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. Thanks so much for all of that. That was really, really helpful. Um, for folks who are listening and who might be interested in all the stuff you do, could you tell us a little bit more about where to find more information about you and the program? Yeah. So you can check us out at youngscholarsacademy.org. Um, and the the big news that I, I want to share is that we have, an, you know, we're actually open for enrollment right now by the time this airs, when you're hearing this, uh, <laughs> from my mouth to your ears, this is it, we're open for enrollment. And our enrollment period is is actually closing soon. So that's when you can sign up for courses and the courses are going to be running. Uh, we both have we have winter camps and also spring and winter courses. Um, but the most important thing to take away from this is that tonight, uh, Thursday, the 8th of December at 630 Pacific time, uh, 930 Eastern, we have an open house where you can come meet all the mentors and meet different families and just go, go into breakout rooms and connect with families and mentors and just get insight into the different classes. So it's a really exciting time. And our early bird special ends tomorrow, the 9th. So we're giving like 10% off all courses that are signed up by then. So that's really cool. Awesome. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us on the Neurodiverging Podcast today. I hope that you learned something. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like this podcast, we have lots of other ones all about education, about uh neurodivergent students and how we need to access school in different ways um, on the website. You can find all of those at neurodiverging.com slash podcast hyphen index um, or wherever you stream your podcasts. They're, they're all there. I very much hope they're helpful for you. We also run a monthly support group for neurodivergent parents. So if that describes you and you are interested in joining us, please go to neurodiverging.com um, and find out more information about how to get signed up for that. Thank you for being here with me. Please remember, we are all in this together.